Hey, CA Church Online. I hope you're well. My name's Cam Daly. I would imagine that on a long weekend like this one, some of you are on vacation right now. Uh, some of you maybe have find yourself busy with plans. Maybe you're watching this Saturday night or even Monday morning. Um, but maybe you're someone like myself who finds yourself here in the city, here this Sunday, watching this service. Wherever you find yourselves right now, for many of us, uh, this Monday night as we're heading to bed, and Tuesday morning, as we wake up, we're gonna to begin to have that nagging feeling in our hearts as soon as we hit the ground, that, where there's these dozens of things calling for our attention. And, and if you're like I am, you start to prioritize and evaluate. What are the greatest needs? Uh, what should I tackle first? Should I shower first and get clean? Uh, do I need to walk the dog? I should spend some time with my daughter before I head to work today. Oh, we gotta get her to daycare. I gotta answer that email. Man, I, I actually have that deadline today on this project. Ah, that's, it's gonna be a lot. I need to film the sermon. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I, gotta, I, I need to make time for God. I haven't talked to Jessica yet. How, how am I getting to work? Am I Ubering? Am I driving? Am I taking transit? I, I'm sure you can relate. Uh, your list might look a little bit different than mine, but most of us, we, we wake up or we, we will wake up with a list of problems before us that day. And, uh, you know, as you're considering and evaluating, what's the most important thing for me today? What if I told you that our biggest problem today wasn't whether, uh, you know, you need to pay your bills. It wasn't whether you should go on that jog and, and, and focus on your physical health. It's important. It wasn't even maybe the relational problems that are before you right now. What if I told you your biggest problem today was a spiritual one, a spiritual one? In today's amazing stories or story of Jesus, we see that Jesus looks past the list of our life and even appears that, you know, he actually looks past the most pressing issue for the man who is in the story. He is paralyzed uh, and, and yet he identifies this man's problem not as a physical one, but a spiritual one. I believe as God peers into our life, the problems he'll identify with us are not just these physical ones, but spiritual ones that have manifested themselves as the list that's before us today. And so if you're willing, uh, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 2? We're going to look at verses 1 to 12. Uh, it's in the latter 30-year Bible, just after Matthew, before Luke and John. Mark 2 verses 1 to 12, it, it tells the story of this man who was lowered through the roof. It says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there, they thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat 
and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked through the stunned onlookers. Can you imagine being one of them? It says they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. Wow. (laughs) What a story. What a story. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thanks for uh, the fact that stories like this are recorded in the Gospels. Story after story of amazing and astounding things that you have done. Speak to us today, Lord. We want to hear from you. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. What is this man's greatest need? What is his problem? (laughs) He's on a mat. His legs are motionless. His muscle is deteriorated from lack of use. This man needs to be healed. But what Jesus' first and chief concern is when it comes to this man, his situation is not these things that we've just spoken about, but his salvation. This story actually reorients our thinking about our greatest need today. It's not simply a practical one, but a spiritual one. Forgiveness is first and foremost to Jesus in this story. He looks at this man and he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Maybe this confused you as you read it, like sins, the man can't walk. (laughs) But when he says your sins are forgiven, what he's implying is that in this case, sin and sickness are related. Uh, And that, that also too, that the more fundamental problem is actually sin. And so though the individual is not always, you know, a direct cause, although the individual sin is not a direct cause to a person's disease or illness, ultimately all corruption and death are a result of the entrance of sin into the world. But some of us, when we hear this, we likely think this is an Old Testament idea that sin can actually be the source of suffering and sickness. But then I was thinking about James, brother of Jesus in the New Testament, In chapter 5, verse 16 of his book, he says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James links confession of sin to healing. Forgiveness and healing are somewhat synonymous. Your forgiveness is connected to your healing and your healing is connected to your forgiveness. So by saying, my child, your sins are forgiven, he's actually proclaiming to them and us two things. One, he's speaking to his identity, and and the other, he's actually speaking about our reality. The first is this, his identity. He is God. And we know this because only God is the one who can forgive sins. Jesus making a A really bold statement that he is the creator of all things, the one who can judge and decide who is right with God, forgiven. And the teachers of the law, the theologians, the pastors of that day, they recognized this immediately as a divine claim. And on hearing this, they they become keyboard warriors of, of sorts online debating about whether he can or cannot do this. And worse than that, he's what he's actually doing and claiming is illegal. The text says in verse 8, Jesus knowing what they were thinking. This also reveals his divine nature as he knows their thoughts, something only God can do. But the second point that this speaks to is actually our reality. It's our greatest need, and that being a spiritual one, not just physical and material. Jesus asked them, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? You can see that in verse 9. Many, myself included, are inclined when hearing that question to assume the latter uh, is actually harder than the former. 
to be forgiven, uh, you know, is actually an easier thing than, than actually to be healed. But to be forgiven without sacrifice, without works, would be shocking, shocking in that day. But we, as, as people in this day and time, we, we've been catechized by a culture to fixate on the physical, the natural, the material, and not the spiritual. Many of you listening right now believe your greatest need in this moment is a practical one. I need financial help. Uh, I need relational help. I need my circumstances to change. But to God, who does care for your circumstances, cares more, he actually cares more intently about actually the state of your soul. He asks this question, how are you doing on the inside? How are you doing with me? He cares about your salvation, your forgiveness, about you being made right with him, our deliverance. And we see this in this story. Jesus looks at this man and seeing their faith, he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. What would you say if I told you the most amazing thing that Jesus ever did in all of the gospels was die for us and forgive our sins? I'm not kidding. What would you say if I, the most amazing and astounding story in all of the gospels is actually ones where forgiveness is extended to a person and also to you and I. I'll say it again, to be forgiven in that culture without sacrifice, without works, would be shocking. And like every other world religion of that time, Judaism was foundationally about being made right with God through following the law. This isn't to say that God wasn't gracious or kind to the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament. But to be forgiven and made right with God, it had a much more to do with ceremony, sacrifice, and lifestyle, fundamentally, than it ever did about grace. And so to the audience, as they heard Jesus offer forgiveness and salvation to this man so freely, they would say, this is blasphemy. This is unthinkable. This is illegal. And as we consider the amazing stories of Jesus throughout this series, I think it would be a complete swing and a miss. If we didn't stop and consider how profound and astounding it is that Jesus Christ of Nazareth forgives our sins and makes us right with God. That Jesus wants to forgive you and can forgive you. Paul explains how this is possible and could be true in Romans chapter 3, 23 to 26. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Paul couldn't make this any more clear. And I want to remind us of this one more time. The most spectacular, astonishing, and amazing thing that Jesus has done for you and I is not actually healing, although that's incredible, but it's actually forgiveness. He, he has provided for us rather than, than us being punished for sin. He died in our place for our sin. And this simple truth should not pass you by this morning or whenever you're watching this. 
Your and I's greatest problem is not primarily practical material ones, but spiritual ones. We need Jesus. We need forgiveness of sin. We need to be made right with God. And it's, is it actually possible that your problem right now in your life could actually be solved through the person and work of Jesus on the cross through belief? I'm just putting that out there. So the application for us today is simple. Believe. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, trust in him. Today, I mean today, get right with God. If you're someone who has known Jesus for a long time, could it actually be that the answer to the problem you are facing is actually a spiritual one as well? I want to give you a moment to consider that, to really just think about it for a second. Do I need to give my life to Jesus? Do I need to go before Jesus and trust him? with whatever it is that I'm facing. Let me pose another question for you. Could it be that your friends, your coworker, your neighbors, their greatest need is also not just practical, material, an everyday kind of, kind of thing? Could it be that your friend's greatest need is also a spiritual one? See, this story just doesn't speak to individuals' needs for, for God and, and how it was met, but it also speaks to the importance of tenacious friends willing to do just about anything to see their friend come to and be with Jesus. Many of you, um, you pray for your non-Christian friends' needs, their financial needs, their relational needs, their health needs. Uh, and we as staff, we actually get prayer updates every single month with just dozens of requests that you guys have sent in. And week after week, we pray for these things. And honestly, we're, we're glad to. But week after week, 99% of the time, the needs that are brought before us are practical needs. Someone is sick, someone's in need, a friend of yours is facing some kind of challenging circumstance. And it was struck me as I was praying for these things, whether these individuals' greatest needs were actually the things written on these pages. Could it actually be that your friend's greatest need, dare I say, is not actually to be healed from cancer, but actually to be saved eternally by Jesus Christ? Like, think about it for a moment. And I think the challenge for us today is this, to what lengths would we go to carry those in need, our friends and family, to Jesus? Would we push through the crowd? Would we climb through the window? Would we carry our friend onto the roof? Would we dig through the thatch and the mud and the hay? Would we find a rope just to lower our friends to the feet of Jesus Christ? And why don't we? I think maybe it has to do with our faith. If you look at verse 5, it says, Seeing their faith... Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith, their faith, their faith, their belief, uh, the belief of the friends, it actually changed the situation. It moved the heart of Jesus to forgive and heal. Theologically, we, we probably struggle with this. We've made much of the sinner's prayer and the personal raising of the hand. And I'm not saying those aren't powerful and personal moments with God, the, the God of the universe, the but it's interesting as we consider, and we know that God alone can save, but in this text, Jesus actually moved to forgive the man based off the faith of the friends. I want to theologically um, fact check this idea. <laughs> and I considered another amazing story of Jesus, the Roman centurion. He comes to Jesus asking that Jesus would heal his servant who is ill. Jesus is so impressed with the centurion's faith 
He says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And because of this, he feels so compelled. He actually heals the centurion's servant, even though that servant, that person who is ill, was not present in that moment or in that room. There's also that passage in James that I quoted earlier. It says this, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So to circle back, perhaps your friend's greatest need and prayer request is actually a faith issue and not a practical one. These friends of the man believed and had seen that Jesus could do seemingly impossible things. And their faith compelled them to go to any length to get their friend in a place where Jesus could move in his life. There comes a point when we who are saved and healed, we actually, we need to be those kind of friends that carry others, that carry people in life, carry people to Jesus. And why would we do this? Because he is God and he alone can bring solutions to the problems that we face. When do we stop caring for and carrying one another? When, when, why have we created such a dog-eat-dog, fend-for-yourself, look-out-for-number-one kind of world? And when did we stop carrying, carrying each other and caring for one another? Even the best of us sometimes have moments in our lives where we need community and we need good friends to carry us. And if you're like myself, um, over this last week, you found yourself tuning into the Olympics. Uh, in fact, our very own Ryan Slater, who, who goes to our church, is, is competing for Team Canada in men's volleyball. And as I was watching, uh, watching the Olympics, all of a sudden this beautiful memory, this Olympic memory kind of came to mind. It was 1992, the Barcelona Olympics, and Derek Redman, he's running for the United Kingdom in the 400-meter race. He's been training, competing for years to get to this moment. It's his big moment on the world stage. And as he takes off, he's doing well. He could win this race, but suddenly he begins to stagger. He tears his hamstring. He collapses on the race course. He's emotional. He's devastated. And yet he's committed to finish this race. In this moment of desperation, uh, he, he wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't have made it on his own. But suddenly, from the crowd, a man appears on the, the course, running towards Derek. He pushes through the crowd. He shoves his, his way past security. It's Derek's father. He embraces his son. He wraps his arms around his shoulders. Uh, and he walks with his son, carrying him to the finish line. It's an emotional moment in the history of the Olympic Games. A father carrying his son so that he can get to the finish line. Here's the point. Even the greatest among us have moments where we need to be carried. We have moments where we need to be cared for and, and carried by one another. And the church should be a place like that. I think there is a paralyzing emphasis on individual spirituality, uh, our personal walk with God, our personal spiritual disciplines. You need to try harder. You need to get up earlier. You need to get closer to God. You need to do it. But as I read this story, it struck me. It struck me that this man would have never gotten to the feet of Jesus on his own. He was incapable of doing so. This event is a reminder that it's okay that we need to be carried by others at times. That faith is actually communal and not just a private or individual matter. 
What if your friend's greatest need is to get to Jesus today, not to get something from Jesus today? What if your friend's greatest need is actually forgiveness, it's salvation? Would you bring your friends to Jesus? I have one last observation for us in this story. It's the fact that I think that we need to be a people who carry the message. You'll notice in this story, look, five times it shows up, five times. It mentioned that the man's mat, a paralyzed man on the mat. They lowered the man on his mat. Stand up and pick up your mat. Pick up your mat. He grabbed his mat. You, you can see it. It shows up multiple times, five times in this text. And I thought to myself as I read this, why does it keep mentioning this guy's mat? What is the big deal about the mat? <laughs> But his mat represented his reality, his weakness, his need. He and his mat, they'd essentially been one since his paralysis. It represented his identity, the paralyzed man, the man who always lays and never walks. It represented his curse. And Jesus says in verse 10, so I'll prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turns to the paralyzed man. He says, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up and grabbed his mat and walked through the stunned onlookers and they were all amazed, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Jesus said, don't leave that mat behind. Don't leave that mat behind. <laughs> Bring it with you. But why? He, he says, I want you to take your weakness with you. I want you to carry it. That mat is your story. What if that mat, that thing that used to represent our shame and our weakness was actually a message? What if we were called to be people who carry the message? What if our mat was evidence that the kingdom of God is here? That you are walking in the days of the kingdom of God, you are a carrier of the message of the kingdom. I think of Daniel chapter 7 verse 18, it says this, but the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. You possess the kingdom CA. It has the potential to go viral. Some of you have hidden your mats. You've put it away in the closet. You hid it under a layer of makeup and a new wardrobe and a new attitude and a new way of talking. And the thing that you've actually been saved from has been left behind. But the thing that, that you've been saved from is actually, it's a message. It's, it's evidence that God can do anything in the life of a believer. You know why people don't like church people sometimes? Because we rub off as this kind of permagrin, perfect, Joel Osteen kind of people. We come off as inauthentic. But the thing that attracts us to Jesus is that there's something about him that we can see in ourselves. He experienced weakness. He died, was in pain, betrayed, and yet perfect and good. The thing that will attract people to Christ in us as Christians is actually not a, a group of people who have it all together, but rather a people, group of people who couldn't earn it, don't deserve it, but have been forgiven and healed. And so I want to encourage you, CA, carry your mat, share your story. When you go home, when you go to school, when you go to work, boast in your weakness because it proclaims God's greatness. Boast in your once worse. This is who I once was. This is what I was going through, but this is who I am right now. Because the world is not amazed by people who can walk. They're not amazed by people who can walk, but they are amazed by people who were unable to walk, but now can. Look how, how 
amazed they are at the end of the story. They all were amazed and, and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. It's time for you to tell your amazing story of Jesus. It's time for you to pick up your mat and walk. It's time for you to walk through the astonished crowd of onlookers and say, I once could not walk, but I met Jesus. He forgave me. He renewed me. And I picked up that mat and I walked and I never, ever was the same. It's your time. It's your time to share your story. And so CA Church, as we examine this story of Jesus, I want to remind us quickly of the things that we have spoken about. Your first and primary need that you have today, especially for those of you who would not call yourselves a follower of Jesus, is this, is that it's a spiritual one. You need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. It's not the list before you. You need forgiveness. You need the grace of Jesus. The second observation is this, is that we need each other. We need each other. We need one another as a church body to help carry us in our times of needs and difficulties. And that there are some in our midst, there are some in our community, there are some in our world who could not and would not get to Jesus unless it was in the context of this story because of some good friends who carried him and went to every length to get him to his feet and, and finally I want you to remember that your mat is a message, that your mat is a message and that we are called to be people who carry the kingdom and carry the message of Jesus, that I once was like this, but now I am this because of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the message for us today. Friends, would we walk in it? Would we walk in it today? Let's pray. Let's thank God for his word uh, and, uh, and then we'll conclude. Jesus, thank you so much for this message today. God, thank you for this amazing and astonishing story of how you, uh, you were interrupted in the middle of a sermon. And yet, in the middle of that interruption, you moved in a profound way in the life of a man who was hopeless and helpless and in need of you. Jesus, I pray we would learn from this man today and we would learn from this story that Jesus, our, our most fundamental need, our most fundamental need is the forgiveness, it's the grace, it is the mercy and the kindness that comes from the cross and your resurrection. I just sense in my, my spirit right now that there are some of you who are listening. Uh, you've all but given up on God. You are frustrated because he has not come through for your healing like he has for this man. And yet I think Jesus by his spirit wants to remind you right now of this fact that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that he died for you. That you are eternally saved. Jesus, would you capture our hearts with the gospel once again? Jesus, would you help us to see our friends' greatest needs and bring them to your feet. Jesus, would you help us to be a people who are not ashamed of our testimony, who are not ashamed of our mats, but we carry it with pride because our weakness actually proclaims your greatness. We need your help to live this and do this, and I ask that by your spirit you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.